You're listening to Foreseeable, a production of Global Is Asian, the flagship thought leadership digital platform of Singapore's Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy. Each episode, we invite an expert for a conversation relating to their field of study or experience and to find out what they foresee happening in the future. In an increasingly interconnected world, the advent of mobile banking has ushered in a transformative era. Access to mobile banking can have a profound impact on people in developing economies. The impact of mobile banking extends beyond individual lives. It ripples through entire communities, affecting aspects such as migration and inequality. Dr. Saravana Ravindran, Assistant Professor at the Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy, studies challenges and potential policy solutions relating to migration, including mobile banking and digital financial services. He has conducted research into whether mobile technology can reduce inequality by modernizing traditional ways to transfer money. He joins us to explore the socioeconomic impact of mobile banking on communities. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Could you share some insight on the impact of mobile banking on migration for work that's uh, based on the research that you've done? What are the challenges of mobile banking adoption in rural areas? What are some ways of overcoming these challenges? Certainly. I'm happy to share this work that we've been doing in Bangladesh and now hoping to scale across a number of countries in South Asia. The idea behind this project was that, so so if we just take a step back and think about earlier theories of uh, economic development, that traditionally has been this focus on the rural development of bringing resources to rural areas. And so we can think about our microfinance programs, our ultra-poor graduation programs, and, and a lot of economic development policy in the past has focused on this idea that, okay, these are areas where they are rural, they're very poor and in need of resources, and let's think of policies that are targeted at these areas. The complementary area of, of work has focused on this idea of harnessing the opportunities and the returns that are available in the cities, in urban areas, to help with this rural poverty. Right? So, so in the urban areas, there's, in sort of relative terms, much greater abundance of employment opportunities, which presents itself with higher incomes. And over time, there has been a lot of migration that has been taking place, rural urban migration. There's this, on the one hand, a movement of people from rural areas to these urban centers. Now, can we then also think about how we can facilitate the movement of resources and money from the urban areas to these rural uh, communities? In the past, in many of these settings, migrants have found ways to remit money home. And they do this through a variety of different means. So we have very traditional agents that they use to to remit money. They may use bus drivers and other people who may be passing through those rural areas back home. Or they may send it through a family or a friend who may be making that journey. Or they may even just take time off to make a trip back home to their families. In a lot of this, you already see that the traditional ways for these migrants to send money home can be costly can be inefficient and also could be risky. So there is a risk that some of this money may be lost if the uh, bus driver or acquaintance were to uh, run away with that money, say, not deliver the money to the intended recipients. And, and we document that in our work in Bangladesh. 
And so this is the setting that we are going to conduct our study in. So the backdrop is one of there's been a lot of policy thinking into how we can bring resources to rural areas. Maybe less so attention has been paid to this idea of, okay, can we harness patterns of rural urban migration and the complementary movement of money back to the rural areas as an alternative policy to really harness the opportunities that cities offer, but then think about ways in which we can overcome these challenges associated with remitting money home. That's the broad frame for the work that we do. Our study tries to harness a number of trends that have been happening over time across the developing world. One has been this rapid adoption of phones and more recently smartphones. So the penetration rates of mobile phones has been rising very rapidly in developing countries across the world. Now associated with that, there has also been this growth in mobile money services. The more familiar or the very popular product globally would be that of M-Pesa in Kenya. So this really started off a revolution in many other countries, but I think as one of the very early pioneers in this space, when M-Pesa really took off, it really showed how this type of transformation can be beneficial. So the appeal of this is that for many of these communities and these individuals who for various reasons, are not able to access and formally have a bank account, mobile money offers an alternative. So you can be digitally financially connected, even if you don't have a bank account, you are still able to open and have access to a mobile money wallet. So this wallet is something that sits on your phone and you can you transact through by interfacing with a mobile money agent but you have access to a mobile money account, which then enables you to do a number of different transactions. Now, the use cases may differ from place to place, but the one that we are focusing on in our study is really that of this remittance channel. So, so P2P or peer-to-peer transfers. That's the, the primary use case that we're going to be uh, thinking about and, and analyzing in our study. So that's the, the appeal of this technology. And what we do in our study is really harness this movement, this trend that has you know, started in Kenya and, and Africa, but also spread to uh, parts of Asia and uh, South Asia. At the time we did this study, so, so this was done in 2014 to about 2016. So at the time we did this study, the adoption rates of uh, mobile money in the country, in Bangladesh, was really low. Even at the time we were wrapping up this work and doing our inline surveys in areas where we did not do our intervention, the adoption rates organically were just about 20%. Uh, of the population, and this is, we are working with Bcash, the largest mobile money provider in Bangladesh, at least at the time, the organically, the rates at which people were deciding to sign up and adopt this technology was about 20%. It was a new product at the time. It was slowly gaining traction, but the rates of adoption were, were low. What we then wanted to do is to say, okay, this is our setting where we are interested in these migrant populations. We are interested in seeing how we can better facilitate remittances from these urban communities back to the rural families. And can we harness this new technology that's emerging, this mobile money technology and these new players in the market? Let's try to leverage all of this to 
see if we can boost mobile money adoption rates, usage rates, and through that remittances. And then uh, in in doing so, we can then measure various socioeconomic impacts and think about how the lives of the poor have changed as a result of what we are uh, doing. So that's the sort of idea behind the study. And so what did we do then? So we're working with these communities in Bangladesh. These are migrant communities that so we worked in a particular migrant corridor migration corridor so this was the rural families were mostly in this area called Kaibanda and they had someone in the family a migrant who was working in Dhaka in the city to remit money home and they were working in a mix of different industries many in garment factories but also other sectors the distance is such that if you were to take a bus ride from Dhaka to Gaibanda, it's it's not an easy journey. It's probably an overnight bus ride at the least. These are communities that are not very close in distance. What we did is we worked with a sample of these uh, families and their migrants, and we worked with slightly over 800 of these family migrant pairs. And this was recruited in partnership with an organization that was on the ground that had been working with these communities, but then we also snowball sampled and added more of these families and their migrants to the study to ensure that we had a large enough size for our analysis. We're working with these communities, and what we did is a randomized control trial. And the idea behind this is that we are going to do our intervention in a randomly selected half of the study sample. And the idea behind this randomization is that because we are doing this randomly, there should not be anything systematically different between the treatment group and the control group, other than the fact that we went in and we randomized half of them to receive our training treatment. So what we did was a very simple information as well as a training intervention. With the randomly selected half of the study sample, we did uh, a number of things. First, we provided information on Bcash, this mobile money platform. So we told them this is a service that you can use very easily to remit money. You don't have to make the trip yourself or send it through someone. You can do it through this platform, right? The second thing we did is we provided them with very basic training. So we taught them how to use the platform and the sort of key barrier at the time when we did the study is that the menus that the the Bcash was using at the time were all in English. For the communities that we are working with, that was a big challenge. If they want to do a transaction and have to click through different menu options to get to the, the right page and enter the right phone number and all of that, that was a challenge. We helped them in all of this. We presented training instructions, which said, if you want to send money, first hit one, then hit two to go to this second page and so on and so forth, and guided them through the steps that they would need to do in order to do such a transaction. We also said, let's try sending some money back and forth with our team and you. Let's practice and see if you got got it and know how to do the, the transfer. So that was the second component, a sort of training component. And then the third thing that we did was a very basic uh, onboarding facilitation. Bcash, in order for the new customers to sign up, there's some basic paperwork that they need to fill out. And if these families needed some help with filling out these forms and such, we would provide some very basic assistance. 
So that was our package intervention that we delivered, and we delivered that to both the families that were in Gaibanda, as well as the node that was also in Dhaka. So to the migrant as well, we provided this training. Mm-hmm. After this, we're going to track the families for about a year plus, and then go back after a while to conduct further surveys to assess how these individuals are doing. So we're going to, we're going to survey everyone. We're going to survey the control group. We're going to survey the treatment group. We're, going to, we're surveying the families in Gaibanda. We're surveying the, the migrants in Dhaka. And what we are finding as a result of our intervention was really stark. So in terms of the mobile money adoption rates, we're able to boost these adoption rates by about 50 percentage points. So earlier when I mentioned that in the control group, by the time we are wrapping up the, this work in the endline surveys, the, the organic sort of rates of adoption was about 20%. We are in the treatment group with the group in which we did this intervention, we're able to boost that to about 70%. So about a 50 percentage point increase, very large increase in adoption of these Bcash services. Wow. So that's a very important first step. So we're able to boost the adoption. So now the the next question then is, okay, what about active use of these accounts and use for the purposes that, that we are really interested in? And so then we track remittances. So when we look at remittances, what we are seeing is that the compared with the control group, the treatment group is really sending more in terms of value of remittances of the order of about 26%. So in terms of the value of remittances, the treatment group is these migrants in Dhaka in the treatment group, they're sending a lot more in remittances back home to the uh, rural families. Mm-hmm. And so in the study, we go into much more detail on why this is, but you can at a very high level think of this as a price and convenience effect. In what I had set out, the alternatives are much more costly, inefficient, and risky. As an alternative, Bcash charges much lower fees for doing these remittance transfers. It's an instantaneous transfer, so there's no time delay in, in uh, sending the, the the money home. But once you push it on your account, the the recipient account would would receive it, uh, and it's a much safer way to 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 send money. It's not subject to the loss and and fraud and the other issues that I talked about at the beginning. So because of all of this, there's an increase in just the the value of remittances that's being sent to the families. And then in the third step, what we're going to say is, okay, we've boosted adoption, we've boosted remittances. Now let's think about what are the socioeconomic impacts of this for both the families as well as the migrants. And for the families, what we see is that as a result of this money that's coming in, they're doing much better. When we look at the rates of say, rural consumption increased by about 7.5%, extreme poverty fell in, in the treatment group in these rural communities. In terms of their financial behaviors, they borrowed less, they were saving more. And so we see improvements in the financial behaviors as well. Interestingly, they were also more likely to send additional migrants. And so we see this sort of very interesting induced migration effect and various reasons for that. But that is also driven by the remittances that are coming into the families. And overall, the picture in the rural household is looking much better on all of these different dimensions. 
when we look at the migrants who are sending the money though it's a mixed picture on the one hand they are also experiencing uh, less poverty they are saving more but on the other hand we find this interesting result that when we look at their self reported health on on a number of different dimensions their um, physical health emotional health uh, mental health they are consistently self reporting to be in slightly worse health so those in the treatment group those who were sending these remittances they were self reporting to be in worse health that's a really interesting result and we dig into this a, a little more once story that seems to be consistent with this is that now that we've made it convenient easy and quick to send money they are under greater pressure from their families to send money so their families are calling them up and saying hey i need some money can you please send can you please send uh-huh. more okay. um, money and so they are under a little more stress from their families to to remit more as a result in some of the industries and some of the heterogeneity analysis that we do we see that some of the migrants are working longer hours which could also help explain the worse health that they are experiencing but they're doing this in order to raise more money to send this money because we've now reduced the price of remittances and and made it so cheap and easy to send money but they're then under great demand from their families and so that we think of that as being a consistent story with what's going on the health side so overall it's not a completely positive picture for everyone we are able to through our intervention boost adoption and usage rates and remittances as a result of which i think on different dimensions things are looking better for the rural families receiving the money but for the senders it's a mixed picture and i think we need to be careful and look out for these sorts of unintended or unexpected results when we think about policy and how this uh, can be scaled up really interesting some unexpected results there as well Now looking ahead though what do you foresee will be the key challenges and opportunities in shaping policies relating to mobile banking let's say in the next 5 to 10 years Another big area that I want to highlight this is really that of uh, consumer financial protection so I think this is now going to be a big issue as we go forward in these communities now there's been for various reasons this idea that okay over time as the many are more and more aware of these platforms and what can be done they also come across stories or maybe even with their interactions with agents if they start to lose trust in the platform itself then that can further hurt adoption rates usage rates and we don't then benefit from the great sort of socioeconomic impacts that i talked about at the beginning with our study so as i noted these agent networks form an important part of the ecosystem and many have to interface with these agents to deposit money withdraw money some also send money just using the agents these are over the counter transactions so the agents form a very important part of this whole ecosystem and so when the customers interact with the agents how trusting the customer is of that agent becomes really important what kinds of fees the agents are charging the customers is important are the agents charging the sort of truthful rates or are they overcharging their customers are they adding some hidden fees or additional charges that they want to these become important issues and so right now there's been a lot of work on the ground in different settings to really understand 
how these customer interactions with the agents has been taking place. And very interesting ways of measuring this as well. There are studies that are currently using, these are called mystery shopper experiments. So what they do is they basically send people who are trained to pose as shoppers and take down all sorts of very detailed notes. They pose themselves as customers to mobile money agents and say, okay, I would like to make a deposit and and make a transfer of this certain amount. They are then secretly recording all sorts of details about the transaction, exactly how much was charged for each step of this, and so on and so forth. And so that as an audit through the consumers, it's really providing information on what agents are charging, are they charging the truthful rates, or are they charging additional rates, and so on. So part of the consumer interaction with the agents is really key. That's one where I think we need to pay a lot more attention to, because if you have uh, mistrust and customers feel that they're being overcharged or they can't trust their agent, then that becomes a huge problem for adoption and use of these services. So in terms of the potential solutions, this is a very tricky way forward because there's only so much that information can do. There's been interesting work that really tries to provide consumers with information on how to identify scams. So this is work that the group of researchers did with the Innovations for Poverty Action in Kenya, where they really tried to provide tips to to customers on how do I identify scam messages, right? So if you see an SMS message with an offer or what have you, how can you identify what's a scam and what's not a scam, right? And these are very standard tips that are being pushed to these consumers, Interestingly, what their preliminary work has been showing is that the, as a result of this, the intervention group with which they were providing the tips actually were not much more likely to correctly identify the scam messages. If anything, they were just becoming very cautious overall so that they were becoming much more cautious, but they weren't much more likely to correctly identify scam messages as a result of the kind of scam prevention tips that were being given, which is actually concerning because then we worry about if as we are pushing out a lot of information about how to detect scams and fraud, are, are we just making people more scared overall? And, and then that discourages adoption and use of these mobile money platforms. So I think in the information provision space, there's maybe issues to to work out. But then also maybe there are some technological innovations that can be done in this space. So I don't think there are very easy answers going forward, which is why I think this is going to be a big issue in the next five to 10 years as the mobile money uh, landscape changes. Thank you very much for sharing all that with us. It's really clear that, as you said, mobile banking and the whole payments ecosystem has such a huge impact on the lives and economic condition of people, both in developing markets and mature markets. So I'm sure there'll be a lot um, for you to continue to study and learn and, and hopefully share with us in the future. I hope so too. Thank you so much. If you'd like to subscribe to the Globalization Newsletter, look for the link in the description or find us on Facebook at Global is Asian. 